This podcast is brought to you by the Specialty Produce Network. Welcome to Plated Earth, where we share at least a fraction of the crazy, wonderful, and insightful stories of produce. I'm your host, JJ. Plated Earth is also the official podcast of the Specialty Produce app. Please show your support for us and Specialty Produce by downloading the app and exploring one of the globe's most comprehensive fresh food databases. So what's on our plate today? Today we are sharing the story of bananas. It's the world's most popular fruit, in demand from the moment we're just teething babies all the way up until our dying day. It's soft, sweet, easy to digest, and packed with nutrition and energy that you can carry in your hand. Many tout it as the ideal food, as it is one of the world's most accessible, nutritious, convenient, affordable crops grown year-round. It's bananas. B-A-N-A-N-A-S. The U.S. alone eats about 3 million tons of bananas each year, and they're said to be the single most sold item at Walmart, besting out apples, chips, sodas, you name it. That really is bananas. The highest average per capita consumption of bananas in the world is in Uganda, where an average of 500 pounds of bananas are eaten per person every year. But this charming, silly, easy go-to fruit has complex roots that are equally sweet as they are tragic. The banana has played a big role not just in history, but also in economics and politics as it immigrated from an obscure jungle species in Southeast Asia to number four in line of the most valuable food crops in the world, behind the likes of wheat, rice, and milk. Bananas impact food and economic security for more than 100 million people around the world, and its success fuels the economies of entire countries. It is the biggest export of Costa Rica, Ecuador, Panama, and Belize, and the second most valuable export for Colombia, Guatemala, and Honduras. Wait, we're still talking about that goofy, bright yellow fruit, right? Yep, although the banana we know and love today is not the same banana our ancestors were enjoying less than a century ago. But before we peel back the layers and jump back into this famous fruit's somewhat dark history, just in time for Halloween, let's break down the banana as we know it. The banana itself is actually a berry, and the plant isn't a tree but a large herb, the largest in the world, with some reaching over 20 feet tall. There were once thousands of varieties of bananas, including fuzzy ones, pink ones, striped ones, and although there still is diversity in some parts of the world, the banana, the banana, that is best known around the world today, and often the only variety people have ever seen, let alone tasted, is the Cavendish. Named after Duke William George Spencer Cavendish, who first propagated the plant in England in 1834, the Cavendish banana has a thick, signature yellow peel when perfectly ripe, encasing the soft, cream-colored, semi-starchy flesh. The Cavendish rose to global fame in the 1900s as one of the most resilient banana varieties, and today remains the world's most popular banana. But the story of the banana is really a story of how humans hyper-optimize food production— After all, the Cavendish banana needs a little human help in order to propagate. Ever notice that bananas don't have seeds? Well, at least not fertile seeds. Those tiny little black specks you see in your Cavendish banana are technically the remnants of what would be called seeds, but if you were to plant them, nothing would grow. Now, there are species and varieties of bananas that do have seeds, but for the seedless Cavendish, cultivation is done essentially through cloning. The only way to reproduce them is to transplant part of the plant's stem. And I meant it when I say these bananas are clones. 
The reason you can buy a banana in Rome that looks and tastes exactly the same as the banana you bought in San Diego is because Cavendish bananas are genetically identical in shape, size, and flavor. They were first cultivated in relative obscurity in Southeast Asia and brought to a Caribbean botanical garden in the early part of the 20th century. They got their big break into commercial production in the 1960s and have been blessing our breakfast buffets ever since. Hmm, okay, but the 1900s were not that long ago. What was going on with bananas before then? Well, the banana has been cultivated and used since ancient times, even predating the cultivation of rice. They are thought to be at least 10,000 years old, and some scientists believe that they may have even been among the world's first fruits, right up there with figs. And just like figs, there are some scholars who believe that bananas were actually Eve's apple in the Garden of Eden. While banana plants are native to South and Southeast Asia, with fossil evidence of cultivation in Papua New Guinea dating back to 5000 BCE. From there, traders and travelers took them to India, Africa, and Polynesia. In 327 BCE, when Alexander the Great and his army invaded India, he discovered banana crops in the Indian valleys and later introduced this new discovery to the Western world. These first banana fruits were not the sweet yellow banana we know today, but the red and green cooking variety, now usually referred to as plantains, to distinguish them from the sweet type. The original bananas also contained large, hard seeds and very little tasty pulp. Yellow sweet bananas as we know them developed out of the crossbreeding of two varieties of wild bananas and were quick to be cultivated since they were so sweet even in their raw form. From this process, which likely began in Africa around 650 CE, some bananas became seedless and more like the bananas we eat today. The bananas that originated from Southeast Asia were also not the size that we are familiar with today. They were small, about as long as an adult finger, and perhaps this is why most historians believe that Arabic traders gave the fruit its name, calling it banan, which means finger in Arabic. Between the 16th and 19th centuries, suckers from banana plants were traded in the Americas, and plantations were established in Latin America and the Caribbean. Soon they were being imported from the Caribbean to New Orleans, Boston, and New York, and were considered an exotic treat. They really made their mark in the U.S. at the World's Fair in Philadelphia in 1876, where they were all the rage and selling for a hefty fee of 10 cents each. Out of the new, fast-growing demand for bananas came the Boston Fruit Company in 1885, which eventually became the United Fruit Company. Economically speaking, growing just a single clone of bananas was genius, and profit potential was huge. Biologically, it posed problems, but we'll get back to that. So, for that time being, United Fruit Company grew one banana, and no, it wasn't the Cavendish. Until the 1960s, everyone was also eating the same banana. It was just a different banana than the Cavendish we're all eating today. It was called the Gros Michel, or Big Mike, banana. The Gros Michel was bigger and sweeter with thicker skin. Wondering why banana-flavored items don't really taste like bananas? Well, actually they do. They just taste like the Gros Michel banana, which were sweet, creamy, and sturdy. You could throw them in a ship's cargo hold and they'd show up at their destination perfectly ripe and unbruised. Now here is where the banana's seemingly bright history gets 50 shades darker. The United Fruit Company realized that they could really max out profits if, along with growing the fruit, they could control railroads, shipping, and take over some other functions of Central American governments, leading to the term Banana Republic. Guatemala in particular was a key piece of a vast empire of banana plantations run by the American-owned United Fruit Company, which paid Guatemala's government modest sums in exchange for land. The company had sole control not only over what workers did, but also how and where they lived. 
They also actually constructed the first railway in Guatemala, designed to be as useful as possible for transporting bananas, with little to no use for the people. For much of the 20th century, United Fruit Company dominated portions of almost a dozen countries in the Western Hemisphere, controlling as much as 90% of the market. In that time, the company cleared hundreds of acres of rainforest across Latin America for banana plantations, and led to countless deaths and alleged human rights abuses. In the early 1950s, when a freely elected government of Guatemala threatened United Fruit's control, the company convinced the CIA that an overthrow was in order. The Guatemalan president was deposed and replaced with a right-wing dictator loyal to securing United Fruit's position in Guatemala. Still, the dark history of the banana's rise to fame wasn't its downfall. Its genetic monotony was. Panama disease, now more often called Fusarium wilt, is caused by a pathogen, and it started to wipe out Gros Michel banana plantations in 1890. A genetically identical crop is a beautiful sight to a pathogen, as the fungus only has to figure out how to infect one individual. Then there's no diversity to stop it or even slow it down. Green fields went black as nearly all the banana plantations in Guatemala were devastated and abandoned because it was quickly figured out that the pathogen could lurk in the soil for years, or as we know now, decades. And so, in the 1950s, the entire banana industry had to be retooled. Enter the Cavendish banana. Although the fruit was more delicate and less tasty, it was resistant to Panama disease. The Cavendish banana was exported to the United States, along with a massive advertising campaign praising the benefits of the banana. The advertising was so good that the Cavendish was even more successful commercially than its predecessor, the Gros Michel. It's been working out pretty well ever since then. However, a strain of Panama disease that affects Cavendish has been identified and began to infect Cavendish crops in Asia in the 1980s. While some scientists are predicting a similar demise of the Cavendish, others are busy working to figure out how to genetically engineer Cavendish plants with immunity to Panama disease. At the same time, farmers are looking to grow genetically different bananas to potentially replace the Cavendish with something more biologically diverse. Meanwhile, infected crops are quickly being destroyed to prevent further spread, and new crops are grown from pathogen-free lab-grown plant stock. The good news is that we now have a much better understanding of genetics, epidemics, and pathology. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't be aware of how much effort and work goes into growing, harvesting, and protecting our most beloved crops, as well as the researchers who strive tirelessly to prevent history from repeating itself. But still, we shouldn't ignore the fact that our agricultural world has continuously been simplified for the sake of convenience, continuity, affordability, constant demand, etc., and that the same risks we face with bananas are true of most of our crops, most of the plants that we most depend on, a list of species that is shockingly and increasingly short. The problem is that nearly all those key species are in trouble because in simplifying the production of our food, we achieve short-term benefits at the expense of long-term sustainability. We can't presume to outrun pathogens forever, and when they do catch up, there are only a few ways to save our crops, and most of them depend on biodiversity. Now, this is a big topic, and I'm really only just scratching the surface here. The point is, keep exploring. I encourage you and hope to inspire you to continue digging, learning, and peeling back the layers of our food's history and its future. Part of that means branching out and supporting your local farmers who are growing something different. Encourage diversity for your planet and your palate. And of course, let's not forget how much more there is to learn about our favorite fruit, the banana. If you're craving more, download the Specialty Produce app to indulge in more of its rich history inside and out of the kitchen.
Well, folks, that concludes this week's episode. Be sure to follow at Specialty Produce App on Instagram for some amazing produce photos. And while you're on there, give us a follow at Plated Earth. As always, you can find more information, recipe ideas, and local market shares on the Specialty Produce app. Tune in next time for more food fables. And remember, cauliflower is nothing but a cabbage with a college education. We'll catch you next time.